This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Good morning. This morning's scripture is from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. That can be found on page 903 in your Pewback Bibles. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. That could not have been a better liturgy um, for this morning's passage. Um, Hey, we're in John 17, and I've been like just sort of giddy about getting here. I don't know your relationship to this chapter. Um, I love this chapter. And I was preparing this week, and I felt a little bit like, like I want to give you the deepest seminary level like education on John 17. This morning, but throughout the entire week, I just sort of felt like God was saying, hey, let's keep it simple. There's some things that I want to say, and I want um, my people to hear that. So, 
So I, I pray that you could hear that this morning um, and, 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 and please like take this chapter as we go through it the next few weeks and, and, and really just like meditate on it and ask the questions like what, why does Jesus pray the things that he prays and, and, and what's he mean by um, certain phrases and stuff like that. There's just, it's just so rich. There's so, so much in it that's beautiful, that's rich, that's worth your time, that's worth um, the effort of like study and things like that. Um, so I just want to commend that to you. Um, hey, like in life, there are really sweet moments. You, you know these, these moments in your life that, um, that are like the manifestation of significance, right? Like there's moments in life that are just like big deals. Um, you know, when you're, you see um, the spark of God in somebody's life, like you see the spark of God's spirit and you recognize that moment and you're like, wow, that's like, that's God working through somebody that's human. That's amazing. Um, there, there's, there's just, you could, you could name any amount of little significant moments in life when your kids succeed, you know, like they've, they've, they've worked hard and they, they succeed, you know, watching our daughter graduate last, last week was like just an amazing, it was the manifestation of significance, like some weighty thing. Like we have these moments in life and I think, you know, hopefully we're good at slowing down and grabbing them and cherishing those types of moments. Um, but, but I propose that there are other moments that don't seem so significant, but are really meaningful. And I think part of being a Christian, part of being somebody who's in communion with God is to slow down and be able to see these moments. There, there's little bitty moments that you can capture. I know like for me, I, I love when we do an event um, or even on Sunday mornings, um, you know, just preparing. There's all these people that are preparing to, for us to come together and worship God. Like worship team, there's sound people, there's preachers, there's readers, there's prayers, like all these people are preparing. And it comes together in this moment but when I get here in the mornings, sometimes I just get up, I, I, I get up at you know, 5 a.m. just so I can drive across the dam by my house and see the sunrise and then get here when no one's here and feel the sort of potential in this dark building of, of, of what's getting ready to transpire. That God's gifts are gonna come together in his church and we're gonna worship him and it's a significant moment Love to just sit there and capture it. Think about it. Like, and, 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 and this is a little bit what we're, like what we're looking at today in, in this prayer is that Jesus, he, he's capturing this moment um, where, where we're witnessing him pray. He's just finished the farewell discourse to his disciples. He's taught them everything he's gonna teach them. And it's not yet the prayer in Gethsemane where he's like seeing what's to come and he's, you know, crying blood, like it's not that prayer. It's a very different prayer, isn't it? It's, it's different. It's the, it's the pause before the storm. It's the cross is coming, but like somehow he takes what's like left there and he prays for us. He prays for the 12, the disciples. And so that's sort of the moment, like this, this little lull, this pause, and what he does with it is very significant to us, to you. And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning. He has 
made the disciples already, but not yet fully. It's this sort of pregnant moment of his ministry in which they're, you know, they're going to go through some hard times and he goes to the father on their behalf. Let's pray this morning as we jump into the text. Father, we, we come to you this morning. We open your word. We, we've read it. We've started to receive the word of God this morning. And God, I know that sometimes in our lives, it's easy for us to miss the point, to miss the point of speaking to one another, to miss the point, to miss moments in life, just like let them breeze by us while we're so um, persistent in busyness. Like I know that's easy for us. And so I'm asking you, Lord, that you would capture our attention this morning. Lord, that there, if there's anything here that doesn't seem compelling or that seems confusing, um, God, I pray that you would meet us and give us um, this time with energy and zeal and clarity of mind and a humble heart. Lord, I pray that you would, you would do that for your people here this morning. Lord, I pray that, that you would grip us and that you would take us away from all the reasons that we would miss this morning. We'd miss the target. Let the word hit us this morning. Show us, Lord Jesus, how to pray. Fill each person in this room with an urgency to become a praying person. Spirit, I pray that you would lead us this morning. Give us words. Give me the words as I preach your word this morning by my thoughts. Lord, may my feelings, may my actions glorify you. Holy one of Israel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words. So, so right away we just know like it's immediate. That's what you should take away from that is like it's, it's happening immediately. There's a lot of debate over every single word in the Bible, but, but there's a lot of debate of like, is this, is this connected to Gethsemane? Is it not? It's like the, 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 the takeaway that you have here is that after he said the discourse, after he taught the disciples about the spirits coming and you know, how to pray, when he had finished speaking those words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Like he lifted up his eyes. So we got the immediacy of what's happening here. And because of that, here's what I want you to think. It's linked to the farewell discourse. So it's not, too, it's not a standalone prayer. We've treated it that way a lot. It's not a standalone prayer. It's actually connected to everything that, you, that we preached last week and how to pray in Jesus' name and what that means and the Spirit's help and the Spirit's guide. And, and so it's all connected to those same themes. We, it's connected by the phrase at the beginning and it's connected by the themes that, that are going throughout the Lord's Prayer. So I want you to keep that in mind um, at this moment. <clears throat> he says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Which many times in the Gospels, like all the way through, Jesus has been like, it's not time yet. 
It's not time yet. It's not my hour. It's not, the time has not come yet. Like it's, he's just been saying that over and over again. We've seen that multiple times here in John's gospel. And now it's time. It's time. He's announcing, hey, Father, the hour's come. Like, I, I, I know, I know it. It's the final climactic events. The ending has arrived in Jesus' life. So we know what is about to transpire. The Father, the hour has come. And he makes his petition to the Father. He says, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. So the request of Jesus is that he wants to be glorified. He's like, glorify your Son. Like, that's his petition. That's what he's asking the Father for. Glorify your Son. And he gives the purpose to that. He's not some glory hound. He's not like all of a sudden being self-absorbed after he's just been pouring out his life for the last, you know, 30 some years. He's like, I deserve this. Like, that's not what we should think about this this morning. In fact, the words are going to show us quite a different story. Glorify your son. The purpose then is so that the son may glorify you. See the reciprocal nature of the servant. Like that Isaiah saw the servant and he just saw this person who's just going to give it everything. And even in his receiving of glory, he returns that glory and that honor and the public nature of God back to the Father. It's beautiful. This is Jesus' petition in his prayer. Part of what he's saying is, I know what's going to happen and I'm going to do it. It's part of what he's saying. He's like, I'm going to do it like this. I know what's going to happen. Now glorify me so I can glorify you at the cross, in the tomb, in the resurrection. I'm going to do it. If there was any question, I'm going to do it. That's what it means for him to say this, to pray this. Now look at verse two. Since you have been you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So he asks to be glorified so that he can glorify the Father. The first word of verse two is the word since. The Greek word is, uh, it means just as. That's what it means. You could replace that with just as. So it's a link word. And it takes the end of verse one and it links it to verse two. So, let, so let's see how this plays out. It's, it's, it's really important to see this. So he says, you've given me authority over all flesh. It's establishing the grounds for his petition of glory. He's like, glorify me. And he's establishing the grounds of why he's asking for that in verse two, just as you've given him authority over all flesh, meaning that Jesus is preeminent, that all things were created through him, by him, for him. He, he, he talks about the glory that he had with the Father before even creation. So he's, he's pointing to that. He's pointing to his preeminence. His, his, he's, pre, he's pointing to his deity. He's pointing to that. It's the basis of his petition to the Father. So that means that Jesus is praying that the Father would do what he already decided to do, namely to give him authority over all flesh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
that love, that dominion that, that, that stretches across the entire world, like Jesus, is, he's touching that. He's touching that at this moment. And the reason that it's important is that Jesus isn't just claiming a reward for a job well done. That's not what he's doing. He's not just claiming a reward. This is the manifestation of the son's obedience. This is the manifestation of the son's obedience in God's redemptive plan. Like, that's what this is. It's not just Jesus getting a badge here. Like, what he's saying is like, I'm part of this redemptive plan of God that, that began before creation and ends in the day of glory and goes on for eternity. Like, he's like, that's, that's what I'm claiming. That's like, that's what I'm doing here. That's what's happening next. How is he going to do it? Verse two, to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. You see the nature and the character of God here. Like you see, you see Jesus's heart here. He's like, he's, he's asking to be glorified by the father so that he can return that glory and how he's going to do it. How he's going to do it is to sort of return to the authority, the, the, the dominion that he has over all of the world and use that to save some people for eternal life. That's what's going on. That's the basis of the petition. That's how Jesus opens his prayer. He goes on in verse three, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. We are saved. We are saved in this way by knowing Jesus. There's no other way for you to be saved from sin, from death, from shame, from, from the weight of your sin, from your guilt over under a holy God, there's no, there's no other way for you to be saved other than that these words are fulfilled, that you are saved by knowing Jesus, not just knowing about God, not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing him, knowing him. What this tells me and you today is that Jesus wasn't just some spiritual guru. He was and he claimed to be the Messiah. And he did the work of saving the lost, of saving dead people from eternal death. That's what he did. It's what Jesus did. And it tells me, and it tells you today, that God isn't just an ambulance chaser who's arriving at the scene and spinning out plans. Like what Jesus is praying brings us in to God's redemptive story, his sovereign plan, his love and his power coming together in this moment and achieving what he always planned to do. Like that's what we get brought into. That the carrying out of that is because of the glory of God. The carrying out of our salvation, the extension of love, of grace, of mercy that meets us is because of God's glory. That's, that's why it's there. And it ensures that it will happen. 
and it ensures that it will happen the way God wants it to happen. So, so this little intro to his prayer, it's significant for us. It's, it brings us into a, a little bit higher sight line of what he's going to pray for us, what he's going to pray for us. And so then Jesus, only then, in verse six, he turns his attention to his disciples. It's beautiful, man. He's like praying to, to the Father. It's like, I mean, this is sort of like how we should really think about prayer is like, you know, as I begin to pray, do I just, I hit my knees and I just start tossing petitions at God? Like, or, or do I stop and I hit my knees and I start to connect with God and, 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 and remember who I am and my identity and my relationship with God and connect and worship with God before my petitions start to happen. And what's beautiful right here, right now, that I, I think this just sort of like captivated me this week is Jesus doesn't immediately just start throwing petitions up about all kinds of stuff in his life, about Judas who's gonna betray him, who's actively betraying him right now, right now or what he's gonna face. Like, it's, that's not where he goes. We think about Gethsemane, we, we think about those prayers, but it's like, hey, the first thing he does is he does the ministry of prayer for you and me. But in this moment, Jesus thought, I need to pray for my disciples. He's already done the work. He's already made those disciples. But, but he, he stops to pray for them. And he's gonna pray for them in several ways. One, he's gonna pray for them. Um, he's gonna pray for their protection. He's gonna pray for their sanctification and their holiness. That's what he's gonna do. He's gonna pray for those things and that's what we're gonna look at this morning in verse six. He says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they've received them and have come to know, have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I am glorified in them, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Jesus' glorification request is eternally bound up in the ones that he is saving. It's not some sort of disconnected idea, God's glory. It's his glory is eternally bound up in the ones in which he is saving. God's glory, the glory of the entire Old Testament, the eschatological glory of, of, that we see coming one day, like all of that's it's bound up in, in his relationship with his disciples. So it shouldn't surprise us that he turns and he prays for them. And he advances again his petition. He says, manifest your, manifest your name. They've kept it, they have kept your word. They have come to know the truth. They know who I am and where I come from. Je Jesus is what he's doing is he's drawing a line around his disciples. 
It's like a lot of people followed Jesus. Whole nation at one point was pretty excited about the guy. Some wanted to make him some sort of king, some, some, some sort of prophet. Like, and so what he's doing is like, well, who, who are these people that the father has given him? This is, this is God's work. And so what he's doing right here, he's talking about who they are and he's drawing a line around them. He's drawing a line around them. He's saying, hey, this is who they are. These are the ones, these are the ones that have kept your word. These are the ones who know the truth. These are the ones who know who I am. Th- these are those ones. And they are pretty messy, right? In fact, when you read this, this is the first time in the gospels when you read this and you think highly of the disciples, isn't it? Like, it's like, wait, that describes them? Hey, John's not saying that they're fully formed disciples. They aren't. They don't even have the Holy Spirit yet. But, but Jesus is drawing a circle around them. And he's like, hey, so far, so good. Like, these are my guys. That they, they, there's a fullness that they're going to come into. They don't have a full knowledge of the gospel. They don't, they don't understand fully the cross. His death, the resurrection, his ascension, the the Holy Spirit's sending into the church. They don't understand all that. But they know Jesus. They know him. And he's drawing this circle around them. And he juxtaposes them against what he calls the world. The world. The world has rejected him. The world hasn't kept his word. The world didn't receive Jesus. The world hasn't obeyed God, hasn't attempted to obey God. The world doesn't care what God's truth is. The world, in fact, is controlled by the evil one. And Jesus says, hey, all these you've given me, they're who I'm praying for, except Judas, I'm praying for these guys. I'm going to get ahead of myself. That's coming. Holy Father, keep them in your name. His prayer is for protection over his disciples. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them's been lost except for the son of destruction that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the word has, uh, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now I noticed something here that really struck me. I don't know if I should be embarrassed by this or just be encouraged um, by Jesus here, but Jesus doesn't pray for wealth. He doesn't pray for their provisions. I mean, these guys left their occupations to come follow a prophet who's going to be dead in a few hours. He doesn't pray for that, that they would have food, shelter. He doesn't pray for their health. He doesn't pray for their families or emotional healing or their safety, really. 
He doesn't pray for those things. And I'm sort of surprised. I mean, not really, but that's not how I would pray. And I spend the majority of my time praying for others for those things. I spend the majority of my prayers praying for those things, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong for making your petitions known to God. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me. But Jesus knows the power of the evil one. And he could care less about their circumstances because he knows that they're going to be sifted and all those circumstances are the ways in which the evil one is going to come at them and you and me tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Those are the ways. But he's praying that God would protect, that that line that he drew would be supported and backed up by the power of God to protect them from Satan. Like that was his most important idea here. He cares about us, about our emotions. He cares about your family. He cares about all of those things and God will answer those prayers. But the biggest thing on Jesus's mind at this moment is that's the devil doesn't want your job or your health or your family. He wants to steal God's glory. That's what he wants to take from you. He wants to take your worship of him. And that's how he wants to do it. But because of God's favor, your soul is guaranteed. Jesus is praying for his disciples in that way. So he prays for their protection. We should pray for one another that way. In verse 16, he says, they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them in the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Look at verse 17 again, the, the first word, his petition. Sanctify them in the truth. That word sanctify is a, it's a group of words. And I want you to think of I want to like move that to be broader because sanctification is just a big Bible word for how God makes us more like Jesus. It's how we grow in maturity. So that's what it means. Sanctification is just a big giant word for how we become a little bit more like Jesus every day. That's progressive sanctification, okay? I want you to think a little bit more broad than that. The word for sanctifies a group of words that relate to the word holy. The word holy. And holy, on the, on the most basic level, when we think about it in scripture, it's a word that John rarely uses, but we actually see as he calls the, he prays to the father, a little bit later he calls him holy father. And holy is an adjective for God. It's an adjective for God, and it means that God is transcendent. It means that he's other than creation. It means that God's set apart. Like we, there's nothing in this world that can influence God to do what God doesn't want to do. There's nothing you can do. There's not a way you can pray. There's, there's, he's other than. He's, he's beyond creation. He's before creation. 
right? So that's, that's sort of the idea of holy. And the angels in God's presence feel the holiness of God and they sing holy, 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 never ending in God's presence. That's the sort of idea that, that I want you to have in your mind as Jesus prays for his disciples' holiness. Because in the Bible, if we go back to the Old Testament, there were holy things. There was a temple that was holy. All the stuff in the temple was holy. The altar, the, the tables, the bread, like everything was set apart for God's purposes. So it was holy, right? And even people. So Jeremiah is a prophet. He was set apart for God's word to go proclaim and correct Israel. Aaron and his sons, they were holy. They were set apart to be priests who would go and serve in the temple. Like that's, that's what they did. They were priests, the whole generation of holy priests. So, so Jesus' prayer here isn't that you just get a little bit better. You know, stop sinning so much. Because we have a moral relationship in the English language with that word in the church. And it's fine, it does mean that, but like, I want you to think broader as what Jesus might be meaning here. The idea of morality in connection to sanctification is, is, is on our mind when we think and we hear about that. I want you to think that God's plan for you and the, that, that, that the answering of this prayer that Jesus is praying isn't so much about you not sinning on Tuesday, it's about your whole life becoming other than what it was. It's your whole life becoming holy and set apart because when you're set apart, you'll do what God wants you to do. If your only mindset in this prayer is that, that God's gonna just help you to stop doing that sin that you keep doing, like if that's your only mindset, hey, great, that's true. It's not the fullness of what God has for you. God wants a nation, a kingdom of holy priests. That's what he's after. That's what Jesus' prayer is after. And he's asking God, would you sanctify them? Would you set them apart in the truth so when they see lies, they know it. When they see sin, they know it. When they see darkness, they bring light. Like that's what he's asking because he's gonna believe him in the world. He's not gonna take him out. He doesn't want you to just leave the world and just be your little holy huddle. Like that's not the kind of set apart he wants. He set us apart to be priests so that the watching world can see Jesus. That's what he wants. So God sanctifies the believer by setting them apart through the ministry of the word, through the ministry of the truth about who God is, through the ministry of the gospel. That's how he does it. When we bend our lives around this, when this becomes our mantra, when this becomes our truth, the gospel transforms our lives. And we start to look a little bit less like that and more like where we're heading. There's a beautiful um, part of this passage that we sort of like, went over and he, when Jesus is talking about um, glory, he says that his disciples are his glory, that he's glorified by his disciples. 
You see, the part of the reason that God's plan is how it is, is because you and I, and this is going to feel like a lot of pressure, you and I, we actually glorify Jesus. That this work of being set apart, this work of being sanctified in the gospel, it glorifies, it brings glory, it brings honor. It's God working through human beings who were dead, who didn't look anything like him, and he gives us new life. And then our lives start to shape and look like Jesus. We start to bring him glory and praise just by the way that we live our entire lives. And Jesus, he triumphs over his enemies by his spirit at work in your life. Does that, does that feel like pressure to you? It's like, if your whole life, your whole life brings glory to God. We're not just trying to, um, that song that talked about our image, like our, the, it, we, we, we were the image of God and sin broke that, right? And now we, in some ways we were an image bearer, but in many ways we're just not, it's shattered. And, and so we, we pray and we sing and we think like we're supposed to be God's image bearers. Like, like God's, God's plan for us isn't for us to just look a little Christian. Like his plan for us is when the devil sees you that the devil's like, dang it. Another one that looks like Jesus. His whole life looks like Jesus. And, and when he sins, he knows the grace of God and he, he's covered by it. So there's nothing I can do. I can just throw arrows the rest of his day and he will at your life. But, but you're, you're marked out, you're set apart and you're becoming more and more and more like Jesus every day. That's what Jesus is praying here for you. He's not just praying it for the disciples. He's praying it for every one of us. He's praying for every single one of us this morning that we be sanctified in the truth of God's word. Build your life around the word. Saturate your ears and eyes with the gospel. Speak it to one another, pray it over one another. There's a few takeaways this morning before we end our time together. Hey, if, if you battle with sin every day, It's not just your battle. It's, it's Christ's battle. I think sometimes when we fall in sin and we start to, to struggle with that, it's not just your battle, it's Christ's battle. It's my battle. My, my sins, like the reality of my sin in, in the body of Christ, like it's, it's your battle. Like, and we all have that in common that we are sinners. So, so we can bring that to one another. We can be strengthened by that. And listen, the good news is that God does all of the heavy lifting. I mean, it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but he does. He died to take away your shame. He, he rose again to give you new life. He ascended to the heavens to put his spirit in you, to guide you. And so you're not alone in your struggles. Sin has this way of like, causing us to just feel isolated. It just, we become isolated, we don't believe the truth anymore, like we just, I mean, just forget the gospel is truth. Like that's what sin does. And, and I just want you to know simply like, Jesus' prayer is for you. 
It's for you. He he's, wants to do the heavy lifting. Like, that's what he wants to do. And so come to him, come to his body, come to his people, go to the word. Like, don't, don't just be isolated in that. Number two, my entire life is about bringing God glory. It's my entire life is about that. And, and, and you, you have to remember that that is true, that your whole life is about bringing God glory. So that means there's no insignificance in your life. I think sometimes you see somebody doing something and you're like, man, they're just, they're living for Jesus. Like, you know, they're, whatever they're doing, mission, missionaries or whatever, you know, you're looking at somebody and you're going, you're comparing yourself and you're like, oh man, they're when I get my stuff together, I can actually go do something for the kingdom of God. This means that that is not true, that your whole life is significant. Your whole life, what you're doing right now, whatever those things are, brings glory to God in how that you do them. They bring glory to God in how you do them. And there's a watching world. There's a watching evil one. There's, there's, there's all of this eschatological, beautiful thing that's happening around us. And God's glory is seen in you. So there's no insignificant moments in your life. The repetition of a little small thing feels like a little small thing and feels like repetition. That's, that is not true. The everyday stuff of life is where God's glory shines through you. All this is from God. Jesus, he calls us, he opens our eyes, he washes our hearts with faith. He gives us the ears to he, be able to hear the gospel and then he gives us the faith to believe the gospel. Like he, all this is from God today. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a sermon on sin, but it's really a sermon on the greatness of Christ and what he's about to do in going to the cross. He doesn't just do that, but he gives us his family name and adopts us into it and gives us the inheritance of the creator of the heavens and earth. He makes us new so that it's not just a bunch of old people who are saved, but like he gives us a new life and a whole new identity in him. He gives us purpose, and he invites us into his kingdom to help actually be the ones who are building it. Like, he, 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 he offers that. He's a good, good God who loves you. And in his last moments on earth, he goes to the Father, and he prays for them. You'll see next week, like, the connection to you and I is, like, to bring us into unity with him. So today, like, here's what I want to do for the next couple of minutes. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. You can just stay seated. I'm going to, I'm going to let you pray. Like, like, I'm going to give you a few moments to pray to the Father through the Son's work on the cross by the power of the Spirit. I'm going to give you some time to do that. And you don't have to pray like Jesus, you can pray whatever's on your heart. You can pray whatever is on your heart. I wanna stack faith together in this room. Whatever's like in your sight, I want you to like, I want you to see Jesus, I want you to see the mediator of your faith. That, that, that because he's there, because you possess the spirit, because you're united with him, the Father hears your prayers 
the way in which he would hear them if Jesus was praying them. I just, I just want to stack our faith together this morning, and I want you to just ask God for something. Just ask, have the faith to pray, to, to ask God to not let your sins separate you from him, but to let God's mercy and his grace cover you and for you to be renewed. Let me pray for you. So Lord, we, we ask um, this morning that, that like Isaiah, we would see your glory. Lord, thank you, like, in those moments where you, you knew what was happening, you knew even in those very moments that the Judas was betraying you, and that you were going to suffer the most horrendous death, the, the, the mockery and the shame that you took upon you and you absorbed for us. Lord, I pray that this morning as we pray and as we come to the table of the Lord's Supper, as we think about that night, God, like, I pray that you would help us. Help us to see your glory and help us to see how that glory, your divine character, your public display of who you are flows through our lives and through this church and through the church the ages Lord infuse our prayers with faith that you drew your line around us and that we are yours God we thank you for grace we thank you for the sweet gospel this morning we pray in Jesus name